we've been going now through the life of David, and it's been an awesome account of the life of the shepherd boy who was called to be king of Israel. And it's a very exciting story, and uh, especially this, this morning, we're going to go through some of the drama that uh, David had to endure before becoming the king of Israel. You see, he was called by the Lord to be the king over all of Israel. Samuel was sent to him and anointed him. And now David, as we've been studying, he's in this season where he had some great victory over the giant Goliath. And perhaps he was getting excited, like now is the time where he's going to be raised up as the next king of Israel. But God led him by the Spirit to be pursued by Saul, to be chased, to be a man who was an exile. And perhaps David was in despair. Perhaps David was unsure about the call of God in his life. You know, there's times in our lives when we are unsure about the call of God in our life. When we're thinking, God, you've called me, you've gifted me, you've put these promises before me, God, but I don't see them. I don't see them being lived out. And we could have doubt in our minds. So David, in this season, we get to see of how his heart was towards the Lord and towards even his brethren among him. So we begin now, continuing as David was fleeing from Saul. And remember, he just pretended to be mad before the king of Achish and Gath. And God was sovereign enough and gracious enough to allow David to flee from Gath. So now David on the run in 1 Samuel chapter 22. It says, David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Abdullam. I want to camp on this first verse for a moment. Referring to the cave of Adullam, David writes much from the caves. David was a man who, when pressed in in a, a season of trial, would, would go to the Lord and, and, and speak with him, would pray to him, would sing to him. There's a, a few psalms that are written when David was in these caves. Psalm 142. I'm going to read the first seven verses to you. In Psalm 142, it says this. I cry out to the Lord. I plead for the Lord's mercy. I pour out my complaints before him and tell him all my troubles. When I am overwhelmed, you alone know the way I should turn. Wherever I go, my enemies have set traps for me. I look for someone to come and help me, but no one gives me a passing thought. No one will help me. No one cares a bit what happens to me. Then I pray to you, O Lord. I say, you are my place of refuge. You are all I really want in life. Hear my cry, for I am very low. Rescue me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison so I can thank you. 
The godly will crowd around me, for you are good to me. Again, so we see David being chased, being pursued. He goes to this cave and he's writing of, of the, the sorrow that he feels of disappointment, of trial, of his brethren turning against him. And he goes from this place of, of depression to then praising God and reminding himself of who his God is. Again, in Psalm 57, from the NLT, I'm going to read the first seven verses of Psalm 57. It says, Have mercy on me, O God, have mercy. I look to you for protection. I will hide beneath the shadow of your wings until the danger passes by. I cry out to God most high, to God who will fulfill my purpose for me. He will send help from heaven to rescue me, disgracing those who hound me. Salah. My God will send forth his unfailing love and faithfulness. I'm surrounded by fierce lions who greedily devour human prey whose teeth pierce like spears and arrows, and whose tongues cut like swords. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over all the earth. My enemies have set a trap for me. I am weary from distress. They have dug a deep pit in my path, but they themselves have fallen into it. Selah. My heart is confident in you, O God. My heart is confident. No wonder I can sing your praises. So even in the midst of the darkness of the cave, even in the midst of hiding, being away from home, feeling distressed, we see David worshiping the Lord. And it's a model for us. What do we do when we come under trial? when it seems that everyone's turned against us, worship the Lord in every season. Again, in in 1 Samuel 22, I'm going to read the first verse again. It says, David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went there down to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them. And there were about 400 men with him. So David's families, their lives now were at risk because King Saul was so upset with David, he was pursuing him. So perhaps they, they fled to him. Now, even in David's exile, he was a leader of these outcasts. In verse 2, it mentioned how these 400 men gathered to him. They were quite this motley crew. They were rough and ragged. And these men had joined ranks with David while he was in retreat. And it reminds me that God doesn't always use the cleanest or the smartest or the most successful people. God many times would rather use the foolish to accomplish his work. And these men, they were distressed, in debt, discontented. That's who God used. 
There's a verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. It says this, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised. God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. You see, when God uses the foolish, when God uses uh, those who, who are weak, he gets all the glory. That's exactly why God does it. It's so that he can be glorified and that man cannot share in his glory. God does not share his glory. Because he is the only perfect being. In verse 3 of 1 Samuel. It says, Then David went from there to Mizpah of Moab. And he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and my mother come down here with you till I know what God will do for me. So he brought them before the king of Moab and they dwelt with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Now the prophet Gad spoke to David, Do not stay in the stronghold. Depart and go to the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. When Saul heard that David and the men who were with him had been discovered, now Saul was staying in Gibeah under a tamarisk tree in Ramah with his spear in his hand and all his servants standing about him. Then Saul said to his servants who stood about him, Now here you, Benjamites, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds? All of you have conspired against me, and there is no one who reveals to me that my son has made a covenant with the son of Jesse. There is not one of you who is sorry for me or reveals to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as it is this day. So paranoid Saul, he keeps his spear with him most of the time. He even hints to these Benjamites, that he's able to give them possessions and authority if they help him. King Saul, he complains against the Benjamites because he thinks that they're not informing him of the bond between Jonathan and David. In verse eight, King Saul was the first right here. He says like, you guys have conspired against me. So King Saul, he's the first conspiracy theorist in the Bible we see. You see, what, what happens when we allow fear in, in our hearts and in our minds as King Saul is, is we become paranoid. But know this, God knows the hearts of man. And we know God. And God's gonna take care of us. There's nothing hidden before the Lord. God sees it all. And we put our trust and our faith in God. So we don't need to be paranoid as Saul was. 
In verse 9, Then answered Doeg the Edomite, who was set over the servants of Saul, and said, I saw the son of Jesse going to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. And he inquired of the Lord for him, gave him provisions, and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. So if you recall, last Wednesday we talked about when David went to the temple to get food. Doeg was there. Doeg was at the temple. And he saw David. And as he saw David, David perhaps knew in his heart, oh no, this guy, Doeg the Edomite, is, he's not a righteous man. You see, Doeg, he's selling out David right here to King Saul. He's telling him, oh, I know, I saw David. He went to the temple, to Ahimelech, looking for provisions and for the sword of Goliath. Now, that's something interesting to note, that Doeg was there at the temple. And you see, not everyone who goes to temple or to church is the righteous person. It's about the heart of the issue. See, uh, as David was a man after God's own heart, Doeg was a man after Saul's heart, desiring to be gaining selfishly. In verse 11, So the king sent to call Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's house, the priests who were in Nob, and they all came to the king. And Saul said, Here now, son of Ahitub. He answered, Here I am, my lord. Then Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, in that you have given him bread and a sword, and have inquired of God for him, that he should rise against me to lie in wait as it is this day. So Ahimelech answered the king and said, And who among all your servants is as faithful as David? Who is the king's son-in-law? Who goes at your bidding and is honorable in your house? Did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Far be it from me, let not the king impute anything to his servant or to any in the house of my father. For your servant knew nothing of all this, little or much. You see, Ahimelech is now faced with the king and the king is accusing him of wrongdoing. And Ahimelech is explaining to King Saul, he's saying, your son-in-law is a good man towards you. He's a faithful servant. He honors you. And he reminds King Saul, look, I've always inquired of the Lord for David because he was a good man. I didn't just start then now. And I knew nothing of any wrongdoing towards you, King Saul. In verse 16, And the king said, You shall surely die. Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. Then the king said to the guards who stood about him, turn and kill the priests of the Lord because their hand also is with David and because they knew when he fled and did not tell it to me. But the servants of the king 
would not lift their hands to strike the priests of the Lord. See, Saul now is ordering his men to kill these priests. But Saul is followed by men who had stronger convictions than he did. They knew it was wrong to strike those innocent priests of God. And in verse 18, And the king said to Doeg, You turn and kill the priests. So Doeg the Edomite turned and struck the priests and killed on that day 85 men who wore a linen ephod. Also Nob, the city of the priest, he struck with the edge of the sword, both men and women, children and nursing infants, oxen and donkeys and sheep with the edge of the sword. So we have here a massacre at Nob, committed under Saul's orders by Doeg. His name actually kind of reminds me of this, this dog because that's what he was acting like, an animal. In verse 20, Now one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar told David and Saul that Saul had killed the Lord's priests. So David said to Abiathar, I knew that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have caused the death of all the persons of your father's house. See, David, as a good leader, he feels responsible for the deaths of the priests in the city of Nob. And it's a heartbreaking story. This dramatic moment in the Bible of what David now must have felt as he's in exile and people now are being killed because he's running. In verse 23, stay with me and do not fear for he who seeks my life seeks your life, but with me you shall be safe. We see more of David's character as he offers protection to those who are in need. You see, are we hospitable? Are we loving towards others? Are we loving to even those who are outcasted? That's how David was, a man after God's own heart. Continuing in chapter 23, in verse 1. Then they told David, saying, Look, the Philistines are fighting against Kayla, and they are robbing the threshing floors. There David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack the Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Kayla. But David's men said to him, Look, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we go to Kayla against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord once again. And the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Kela, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. Notice David's prayer life right here. He's consulting the Lord on what may have seemed to him to be an obvious move of fighting the Philistines. 
But David wanted to be in the perfect will of God. He wasn't the leader they deserved. He was the leader they needed. And David made sure that he was in line with what God's heart was. It's a reminder to us. Sometimes we, we take steps without first consulting the Lord. We move without giving God any thought of what he desires or what his will is for us. We need, we need to be discerning. In our prayer life, it's one of the most powerful things. It's important that we keep that prayer life sharp and active. Sometimes uh, it's, it's good to be stirred in prayer. One of the ways that, that we do that is we, we talk about prayer. We, we read books on prayer. There's a, a great book called the, the Power of Prayer by Ian e. Bounds. And it's, for me personally, one of the best books on prayer that's out there, The Power of Prayer. And, and he, Ian Bounds is an older uh, generation. I think he wrote this in, somewhere in the late 1800s. And men who didn't have TV or social media, when they pour out their heart on pen and paper, you see that they definitely spend a lot of time with the Lord. And they knew the importance of prayer. So we should also seek that prayer life. And in verse 5, And David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines, struck them with a mighty blow, and took away their livestock. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. David was met with victory here. We see this. After he sought the will of the Lord. David asked for prayer. He asked for God's will. And God told him directly. See, David got specific with his prayers. And God answered him specifically. Now, prayer, it's not a means so that we get what we want. And that's not what prayer is. Prayer is meant so that we can align our will with God's will. And in doing so, God blesses us with his desires which become our desires. Remember Jesus said, whatever you ask in my Father's name, in my name, it will be given to you. But who was he talking to? He was talking to his disciples, whom had already forsaken their old life, picked up their cross daily, and began to follow after Jesus. Men who had already put their will aside, that's who Jesus was talking to. So when we pray, ask for God's will to be done. Ask him to give you his desires. In verse six, now it happened when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David at Keilah, that he went down with the ephod in his hand. What is the ephod? We've been reading about it. The ephod is this robe which the high priest would wear. And it would have included uh, the, this breastplate with 12 stones on it, which were representative of the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, this was something that just the high priest would wear. Now, all the high priest or the priests were killed 
So Abiathar grabbed this ephod and fled to David in order that he might keep safe what was remaining of the temple. Now in verse seven, and Saul was told that David had gone to Calah. So Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. So this is how far away Saul was now from the voice of the Lord, where he was thinking that God was intending for him to kill David. Then in verse eight, then Saul called all the people together for war to go down to Calah to besiege David and his men. When David knew that Saul plotted evil against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Calah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Calah deliver me into your hand, into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. Then David said, Will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will deliver you. So David and his men, about 600, arose and departed from Keilah and went wherever they could go. Then it was told Saul that David had escaped from Keilah. So he halted the expedition. We see in those verses that David again was praying for the wisdom of the Lord. You see, he just rescued the city of Calah. And perhaps he thought, okay, well, since I just rescued them, surely they'll keep me safe. But to be sure, to be certain, he went before the Lord and asked him if they would turn him over to Saul, which God responded, yes, they will turn you over to Saul. Now notice that God didn't command David, stay, but simply told him what the consequences would be if he did stay. That's the relationship that David and God had. Where he, he was asking what's going to happen and God's telling him, well, if you stay here, this is going to happen. So David said, all right, well, I'm out. Also notice it mentioned that David now had 600 men with him, whereas before David had 400 men. So David, he's quite the commander, quite the leader drawing men and perhaps thought that they would actually fight against King Saul. Maybe even the men of Keilah would join ranks with his men and they would fight against Saul. But now God is telling him, look, they're gonna deliver you over. So David in his wisdom says, all right, Let's get out. We're going to skip now to chapter 24 since we are just doing a character story on or character study on the life of David. Go to chapter 24 of 1 Samuel. You see, in the the verses prior to this chapter, we, we read about Saul chasing David, that 
he's told where David is at. But the Philistines, they come and they attack Israel in another portion. And Saul is forced to abandon his pursuit of David to fight off the Philistines. Now in chapter 24, verse 1, it says, Now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines, that it was told him, saying, Take note, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. So he came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave. And Saul went in to attend to his needs. David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. Today, if you go to Israel, those caves are, are still there. Now, in the wilderness of En Gedi, where David's at, it's a very hot climate. It's a barren desert with some of those desert bushes and wild goats roaming around and some even desert rodents that live in the cracks of the rocks and they, they hide there. And it, it's, it's really cool to, to see just how David was there in the desert, in the rocks, and it's still, you could read it in the Bible, and then see it to this day. And in verse 4, Then the men of David said to him, This is the day which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as it seems good to you. And David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. So David and his men, I'm going to pause for a moment. They were there hidden in the recesses of the cave, unknown to Saul. And Saul, he enters this cave to relieve himself, uh, possibly to go to the restroom or to, to sleep. And perhaps he took off his robe and, and laid it aside so that David was able to secretly, without Saul knowing, go to the robe and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Meanwhile, David's men before that were telling him, look what God has delivered Saul into your hands. Take his life, kill him. But David just cuts off the robe, just the corner of it. And in verse five, now it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. So David also arose afterward, went out of the cave and called out to Saul, saying, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Indeed, David seeks you harm? Look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you today into my hand in the cave, and someone urged me to kill you. 
but my eye spared you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yes, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand, and I have not sinned against you, yet you hunt my life to take it. Let the Lord judge between you and me, and let the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. In verse 13, as the proverb of the ancient says, wickedness proceeds from the wicked, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue? A dead dog, a flea? Therefore, let the Lord judge and judge between you and me and see and plead my case and deliver me out of your hand. I'm gonna camp on this moment. David had an opportunity to take matters into his own hands and to get himself what God had already promised him. Everyone was telling David this was surely God's will for him, that he would kill Saul. But David knew the condition of the Lord in his own heart. David knew not to go against the Lord's anointed, even when the Lord's anointed was wrong. Throughout the Bible, we see many examples of when the Lord's anointed are blowing it. They're messing up. And constantly, those who followed against or who followed the Lord's anointed, they stood by them still. One of the examples I I think about a lot is Moses. He was anointed for a specific work, and that's what the word anointed means. Anointed means simply to be set apart for a chosen, a specific work. Moses was anointed to lead the people of Israel through the wilderness out of Egypt. And while he was anointed of the Lord, Moses messed up. He disobeyed God's word. God told him to speak to the rock. And Moses, because he was angry with the Israelites, went to the rock and he struck the rock and water came out of it. You see, his assistant Joshua would be there for all those times when Moses would get angry. Moses had this temper problem. And Joshua, he was faithful to Moses. He didn't call Moses out. He didn't begin to tell people, oh, follow me, I'm a better leader. No, he stood faithful beside Moses because Moses was the Lord's anointed. See, in ministry, God He appoints leaders. And while they are to be held accountable, it is never our position to go against the Lord's anointed. You see, we keep our eyes on God, not man. Man will fail you, but God will not. When we begin to look at people too much, we can become discouraged 
and we're more prone to leave the call of ministry God has placed in our lives. See, if God has called us to a position in ministry, don't let anyone push you away from that call. We are able to withstand the trials with peace when we know we are called to them. See, David knew this to be true and he desired God to exalt him rather than himself. David was a humble man. I'm reminded of the verse from James chapter 4, verse 10. It says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. In verse 16, continuing on. So it was, when David had finished speaking these words to Saul, that Saul said, is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. Then he said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. And you have shown this day how you have dealt well with me. For when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safely? Therefore, may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. You see, David, he was a man who let vengeance stay in God's hands. In Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 21, Paul reminds us that we are never to take vengeance into our own hands, but leave that in God's. In Romans 12, 17 through 21, it says this, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now in that, that portion I just read, that the coals being put upon someone's head was actually a good thing. It wasn't a, a form of, of attack, but it was to bring enlightenment to bring light onto someone. And notice that Paul reminds us, as much as you possibly can, live at peace with people. And he realizes that there's people where it's going to be extremely hard to do it. So he's saying, as much as you possibly can. But we don't go to repay the evil for evil. And we leave vengeance in God's hands. And we know that one day God is going to right all the wrongs and all the evil in our universe. Revelation 21 says that God is going to create a new heavens and a new earth. All the evil will be dealt with then. 
where justice will be full and complete, where we will live with him and reign righteously. This began on the cross. When Jesus took on the sins of the world, we had victory now in him. We can trust him. And continuing on now, in verse 20 of 1 Samuel chapter 24, and now I know indeed that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Therefore, swear now to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me and that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. So David swore to Saul and Saul went home. But David and his men went up to the stronghold. You see, David, he trusted God's process. He held on to God. He kept the vision and he trusted the process. Perhaps you are waiting for what God has promised you. I would encourage you then, abide. Abide with God through the trials. Abide with God through the attacks of the enemy. For God does not fail. You see, every preparation, every season is going to be preparation for the next season. We're sometimes thinking that, oh, we're trying to get to this end goal. And once we're there, then that's the promised land for us. But the reality is even that end goal is preparation for another season. God is always continually working on us to perfect us, to prepare us for eternity. You see, hoping God and he's going to exalt us and let him get the glory. Don't seek the glory yourself. I'm reminded of the story of Jacob. See, Jacob, his very name, it means this sneaky, cheating thief, someone who grabs at someone else's heels. You see, Jacob was given the promise that he would be this patriarch of many people, that he would actually be lifted above his older brother. Now, in their times, the, old, the oldest son would receive the inheritance and the, se- the special blessings but God promised that Jacob would, the younger brother. You see now, though, as Jacob was in his early life, he was sneaky and manipulative, and he sought to rob his older brother of the inheritance that God had already promised to Jacob. He was controlling, manipulative, and he was fighting with the Lord all through his life until the day he met with the Lord face to face, and he wrestled with him, the Bible teaches us. And when he wrestled with the Lord, he said, I won't let you go until you bless me. And that angel of the Lord, he touched Jacob's hip and wounded him. And he said, what is your name? He said, my name's Jacob. He said, for now on, your name is gonna be Israel, meaning governed by God. 
He who wrestled with God and came out victorious. You see, after that day, Jacob became Israel. He became a man governed by God. And he learned to let God work out his plan in his life, not to strive, not to fight for his own selfish gain, but let God do the work. And that's the the lesson for us this morning, this afternoon, is let God get the glory. Let God work out the plan in our life. Just be, make yourself available to the Lord. Learn the lessons in the wilderness as David did. And keep your eyes on God. Amen? Amen. Uh, I'm excited to continue on the, the life of David. This chapter had so much uh, drama in it. Um, we see that the Bible doesn't just talk about uh, just the good things that men did, but also the, the wicked. And we know that ultimately that God has a longing heart that we would be in a relationship with him. So I'm excited to continue through the life of David, which we will this fall, coming Wednesday. Um, but let's pray and thank God for the lesson this morning and that he would give us strength throughout the rest of the rest of this week. Heavenly Father, I come before you, Lord, to thank you for everything you've given us, Lord. I thank you for your grace, your mercy. I thank you for giving us a new life, Lord God, where we don't have to strive, where we don't have to strive in our works, Lord God, to get on your good side. But we can know, Father, that you've already done the work. That your son, Jesus, Father, has already given us the victory. Father, this week, may we just be in our prayer closets, Lord God. May we pray for others. May we seek your wisdom. May we not ever go against the Lord's anointed. Maybe, Father, just glorify your name. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
wide open I will climb this mountain with my hands There's nothing I hold on to 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 love you guys. We'll see you Wednesday night. We hope you guys have a blessed week. In Jesus' name, amen.